two, one. And welcome to Project Canary, season two. Here we are with Crystal and I, and I guess, I guess, Chris, I guess, I guess we're vindicated. Is that, is that the word that we should be using? Vindicated makes it sound like we celebrate it. Confirmed? I don't know. I told you so. Data supported? Our knowledge translation has been spot on from the beginning. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people that struggles to take accolades, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I really don't like compliments either. So it's hard for me to take credit for when I'm right. But I can't really think of a whole lot we've been wrong about. Exactly. Uh, you know, one of the things that gnaws at me is being wrong about the stuff with P1. But in reality, I actually wasn't wrong because no, we no. found out like months later that P1 actually just became all the cases in BC. So what, what I said was actually sort of correct, but we did not see the hospitalization levels that we saw in places like Brazil. So that I was not really right about. So I need to take accountability for that one, but mostly everything else. Yeah, I would say that. Um, unfortunately, we're, you know, curbing around and we're going to be at a year of this podcast before that long, right? We're a couple months away from that. And you know, I'm looking over my newsletters from March, Mel, and nothing has changed, you know. The CPHO and Health Canada has finally acknowledged that, you know, COVID is airborne with you know, with aerosols that linger is the wording. <laughs> yes, because they didn't want to say airborne because that would have died them inside a little bit, I think, to admit to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, ding, ding, ding what we've said all along and what, you know, many experts have been saying all along and different sorts of experts, right? Not just the infection and the epi epidemiologists, but the the engineers that work in those sorts of areas and all sorts of professionals that know a lot about this have been saying we need to help with ventilation, we need to do those things and have been uh, turned away at every opportunity that they've tried to get upgrades. Is that interesting how the Great Barrington Declaration and the narrative that they kept pushing was silencing our scientists and engineers? You know, when we started talking about COVID being airborne and how it fills a room up like secondhand smoke, I mean, we were talking about that already in March of this year. And, and France just released its little video of showing COVID like smoke in a room. That's right. I mean, the UK set, uh, released another video too. So, you know, Europe is getting it. Mm -hmm. um, Canada is finally getting it. But it took a year and a half for them to finally... It's I mean, if we look to the, to the documents, which we had a, an entire episode about in June, and that's when the Public Health Agency Canada documents, those summary documents I dropped originally and tried to get them to recognize that fact. Um, those documents indicated they at least had enough evidence to support that in August 2020. So over a year ago. 2020, yeah. Over a year ago, you know, they at least had the, the, the evidence to mostly support that. Yeah, it's now November 2021. And our mask mandate was dropped on Halloween in BC. So that I just cannot believe like kids <laughs> are going 
still sitting four to a table at recess with their masks off eating. And, and kids are still now going to school with their masks off because the messaging they're getting in BC is that masking is optional. And so now that we have this new definition from Health Canada, from the federal government that acknowledges that COVID is airborne, wonder what BC is going to do now to, to where they're going to backtrack their policy again. I mean, parents must be getting mightily confused at this point. Well, I think the confusion just helps BC Poly, unfortunately. And I, you know, sort of said this before we were recording and I'll, I'll explain myself more now because we're talking about it is I wish that I thought Tam's recognition was going to change anything. But after watching this the last year, year and a half, like truly watching this and seeing the apathy that the government has to helping the vulnerable people being impacted by this. I don't know. It will change anything. And that's, that's more scary than anything else is that even though it's out there now that it really truly might not change anything, you know, think about that hospital. It's getting, which what's the name of it? I want to make sure I get it right. Royal inland health. Mm -hmm. The, the one that has like multiple, uh, wards of it now hit you know we're we're seeing such a rise in hospital acquired cases still and that's because we you know in June when we had this discussion I, I re-listened to the episode we literally had a discussion of what does this mean that they're not recognizing it and we said it's going to mean a rise in hospital acquired cases because we're not changing the ventilation that we need to be we're already behind what we need to be and even though they changed the designation now according to tam verbally what does that mean practically because i don't see anybody moving quickly to change much yeah and we're talking about when rubber meets the road and policy right I, our hospitals are still on droplet protection right and i work i again i work in patient unit and yeah, I mean, it's the blue surgical mask still. That's what my clients are wearing, and that's what um, I would be wearing. But I, you know, usually bring in an N95. But it's, I mean, I can't not go to work. No. And that's what they're banking on. Yes. Right? It's, I had to, I was off work for, you know, a year of it. And then at some point, like, I had to go back. I'm not in a position where I can just not work. And I care about my work and what I'm doing. And like that sort of work can't just stop. It's it's a really terrible position for people to be in. And like we've talked about before, it's a great position for moral injury to occur because now it's going to be even harder that they've recognized it's airborne for them to not take measures. I mean, it's even worse of a moral circumstance that they're placing their healthcare workers and their teachers in that are getting denied to have HEPA filters in their classrooms, right? Like, yes, I saw that some parents were trying to put box Corsi fam. The the Corsi Rosenthal boxes. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and they were they were denied. Yeah, and I mean. They were denied under the worst, the worst uh, misguided, ugly use of equity, right? Like they mm -hmm. rejected these things saying 
it's not okay for some classrooms to have it and not others. So instead of them making sure all classrooms have it, they're denying classrooms from having it. And let's be clear, that's in public schools because in private schools, we know that they've been able to upgrade air and they've done other things, right? And some of the public schools that got good funding did upgrade their ventilation, but not at the... Got upgraded, right? Like it's the districts dependent. Right. Right. And, and... Uh, the cruelty is the point, right? We we have <laughs> we we knew who it would impact the most, and we allowed that as a society, right? It's it is what happened. We have to take account for that. And in BC right now, you know, our seniors dying. Yes, seniors are such a small portion of the population. I don't think people realize this that mm-hmm. we've we've killed so many of them, which is so horrifying because they're a tiny percentage of our population. Um, but there's large chunks of people in their 30 to 50s still dying. And yeah. like I saw the one stat from last year that um, I think nine lung transplants went double lung transplants went to people between the ages of 30 and 50 after covid right like that's 30 to 50 that my goodness but it's it's the deaths are still really rolling in we're seeing what we talked about would happen across this september to january period with which is the sustenance of the fourth wave that we hit this plateau and we're going to just keep seeing it right until we hit a point where immunity is waned more from vaccination. And then we might see a pickup again in December, which is what the modeling was showing. Right. right. Um, because it's after six months after your, your, your job, then your immunity wanes. That's right. And we about. know BC has been sloppy and, and, and everything about getting it to the vulnerable people. So again, we see these big long-term healthcare outbreaks we see these big hospital outbreaks where the most vulnerable are getting hit and dying right and dying like from the thursday to friday period when they reported on the deaths there was 23 deaths in two days that's a lot yeah of course yeah that's almost you know that's 11 and a half a day right if you're averaging it that's we started in september it was like five a day so we're we're double that now right and that's what they don't they're not doing anything about that they're, no, they're they, normalizing it they're just watching the deaths because this was the normalization this is the process that we talked about that it was you know zero deaths and then it was five deaths and then it was 10 deaths and it'll be 15 deaths it's they didn't test so the cases never went up but the deaths sure show the picture don't they salim has a tweet about BC having 30% of all deaths nationally. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, the amount of Canadians dying in this province. I think it was, what, it was the last two weeks or the last four weeks? I can't remember what the time period was, but it was um, that British Columbia COVID deaths accounted for 30% of the COVID deaths in Canada in that time period. But population-wise, we only account for about 7.5% of the population. Right? That's... That's scary. Why do we have so many people dying in British Columbia, given that we had no rise in those case numbers? Hmm. Just like I talked about the yeah. last episode that we had, right? I said the one metric I was going to be watching for the next eight weeks was deaths. 
did that pick up just like it's going to pick up in other places? Because Alberta, you saw the cases go up. So you're mm-hmm. going to see the corresponding deaths. But BC didn't increase any testing. So we were blind to the case rises, but the deaths show the picture. That's right. That's the final product. And and Halifax, uh, they're they're releasing rapid tests to their citizens. Just, just oh, five at a time. Yeah, they just send you a five at a time and and testing is still hard to come by in BC, right? And they can deny that, but we know that's the case. And John Horgan like admitted that up when he was having his speech that people lie to get tests just so that they can get access to it because BC refuses to have any sort of testing system that is easy to access. Um if you don't meet their qualifications, which shouldn't, you should be able to go get the test at this point if you're worried, right? It's. And people are still having to lie about their symptoms to get a test. Like you're right. He completely confirmed it, but the the symptoms they're looking for, they took, they made the list even smaller now. Mm. Right. It's almost impossible for parents to take their kids to get tested which and is bonkers because we knew yeah. we knew that Delta was more like cold symptoms all along, right? We knew that the symptom profile was different and they never changed it to reflect it, even though other places did. Like they changed their instructions. They said it could look like a cold. Other places say how important it is to get your school children tested because of how similar those symptom profiles are. Um, but instead in BC, we have our lovely Dr. Bonnie Henry at the 18,000 person packed Canucks games. And in I, I mean, she says yelling. she's introverted and doesn't like attention. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna call bullshit on that one. I think. I'm, uh, have you seen her grin? Yes. You should see the fire engine red my face gets when a large portion of people have their eyes on me. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> You're a true uh, introvert. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so I'm, I'm literally getting red just thinking about it right now. I hate being you are. <laughs> I can, I can, I can attest for our listeners. Her face is going red thinking about people looking at her. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's, in a in in a social capacity, right? Like it works, it's fine. Like I I've taught like three hundred person classes. I've had to get over that. It's exposure therapy, really. I've exposed myself to it, but um, social settings, I I've never gotten over that. I'm a super awkward human being, um, and that's okay. That's just who I am. Um, but I'm telling you, she's not giving me any sort of vibes that she's not liking that attention. And maybe she didn't start liking that attention, but wow, it seems to she's loving it now. She's uh, loving it. I mean, and she's up in the box with uh, her PR person, right? But she's not there on government business, apparently. So oh, I guess okay. she just goes out drinking with her PR person that our government is paying oh. for her spin, mm-hmm. which I don't know why our public health person has a permanent spin doctor. I'm just, it's a very confusing set of events in uh, British Columbia right now. And, and let's, I think, I want to take a moment just to talk about BC and how odd it is. Not only the way that they've handled this pandemic, but also the entire structure of BC. Like our BC NDP party is not part of the federal NDP party. Our BC Liberal Party is not part of the federal Liberal Party. Like, why is it so segregated from the rest of the nation? It makes me wonder why. And why is the question that everyone should be asking, why is BC so different? And why are they just allowing this many Canadians in our province to perish 
when they have the tests that they should be deploying and it's available and our taxpayers have paid for, they've reduced testing. They silence critics and put barriers up like the freedom of information stuff that they put barriers on that, that journalists can't even access information in a timely manner. They limited testing. After decades of precedence of not charging for that. Yeah. Like, but there's deliberate. Not until they started doing all this shady shit. (laughs) Exactly. Right? You know? um, I mean, usually when someone just runs out of the room with something and hides it in a bag as soon as you get there, I mean, you're going to be a little suspicious about what's in the bag. (laughs) Like, we wouldn't be saying this if BC wasn't acting so sus to begin with, right? Like, (laughs) we're just acting so sus. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, like the absence of data is still data in itself. Like, come on. <laughs> when when most other jurisdictions have clearly figured out how to do basic things. Yeah. And this government still has like their issues where they're like, we have a data problem. We'll be back in like 24 hours. Like, what's happening? What's happening? Yeah. And they just... They've ignored every piece of critical advice that could have helped our province. Yeah. Um, out of every piece, every piece, hubris, you know, whatever they're they're dealing with, whatever. I don't really care to be honest. It doesn't matter. They're in a position of leadership, and it's their moral and uh, professional obligation to make sure they're caring for the people, and they're not. So no. you know, this is this is my job as a citizen in a democracy to call out these things. Right. right? And I'm very, um, I'm happy that John Horgan is getting the help he needs in terms of the, the cancer. It sounds like he has, but it still leaves you with that understanding that John Horgan is getting access to a level of medical treatment that many others that I personally know are not. That's right that has had access to seeing a specialist and those sorts of things. And, and I know that critics will say things like, well, you don't know how serious it is. And well, no, I know people in pretty, uh, pretty severe circumstances. I know people that died waiting for those things that he's getting, getting it right away. Right. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't, what I want is for everybody in BC to have access to that same level of services. And I hope that as the leader that he is not stepping down as that he fights for every person in BC to get that same level of care that he got in a pandemic that has seen the um, demonstrable demolishment of our healthcare system under his watch. Yes. And that's a hard truth. And I understand and I empathize that he's in a very difficult life circumstance, but that doesn't change the failures that we have seen. And as he has decided to stay on as the leader of the NDP party, I have to keep criticizing the party's policies and decisions regardless of of what's happening with him. So I separate that out in terms of um, the fight still goes on, right? You don't get a pass. I'm sorry, but... Well, it's not about him. It's about what the policies right. that his whole party have done. I wish him all the best as a human. I don't want any human to suffer in that way. Cancer is a terrible thing. I've seen it kill people. Um, as a human, I would never, ever wish that on someone. But the poor policy decisions he he's made continue to impact other people and vulnerable people. Um, you know, my grandma died 
almost a year ago now, nothing has changed in terms of the the testing strategies and the access to to tests and the staffing issues and and to be honest, like I'm I'm seeing the outcomes of short staffs in the nurse the hospitals in Alberta. I'm seeing the understaffing on the wards where we need more nurses for safety, for for all sorts of things, for client welfare, and we don't have it. We simply don't have it. But the people that are there have to keep going. What's the other option? So, you know, we put ourselves in physical, mental strife sometimes to make sure that these jobs still go on, that these people are still taken care of. And we in BC have decided that a priority is full capacity Canucks games while we're still seeing healthcare being so badly beaten. I don't understand that. Truly, I don't understand that. It's such poor leadership. It's such poor, callous, unethical leadership. And leadership is a privilege. When you are in a leadership position, you serve the people that you are leading. And you have a responsibility and a duty to those people and and the system that and the ecosystem that you are supposed to be a steward for it's not the other way around where the people are supposed to bow down to you and just on a whim be expendable dependent on your you know your policy that lines your your pockets that's not what leadership is well that's what it's turned into in canada though and that is a problem, isn't it? And that's why we're in the situation we are in. I mean, there's no absolutely why we, we should are... be waiting a year and a half for a proper scientific designation. Whatever, whatever these individuals say to get into office or while they're in office, we are, have seen a clear lack of uh, moral leadership and, and integrity at the most basic level um, across Canada, really, during this pandemic. It's yeah. that... It became clear that politics was really a short-term game for many of these people and not really about the sustenance of uh, the Canadian population because the Canadian population is clear about what's going on, right, and has wanted very specific things and called out for things and they continue to ignore us, right? It It took them five months to come out and recognize that it's airborne. Five months after I blasted all those documents and... 15 months after they actually had the documents that showed it 15 months 15 months that we didn't use the protocols that we could have used 15 months where people have been put at undue risk including my grandmother who died right 15 months that they had that knowledge um and how many more months how many more years will it be be taking this long these politicians that have a short-term focus of holding on to power, their decisions are making long-term, life-changing, traumatic changes to Canadian lives. And that's what they need to understand, that they are so responsible for us right now in a pandemic, that individual action is policy. And even when they fail to act, that's still reflected in their policy. And that policy has consequences that affect all of our lives well and it's just it's such a hard it's such a hard place in the pandemic to be honest mel because i mean it's all happening sort of like we knew it would happen but 
it's real. It's not. None of us wanted this to happen. We're all so fucking tired, man. Yeah. We're all tired, and we want to just go back to life. But those of us who know that we can't, because it's a basic tenant of saving humanity right now to not is like it's such a weight right for all the people that are aware and and listening to this podcast I guarantee that they think about on such a constant basis and you know like I stopped I think since last podcast I don't think we've done one since then is that I uh, stopped the data Mm -hmm. completely in newsletters and I'm 100% 100% glad I did because I feel so much better this week because uh, I ended up uh, going to the hospital with a really bad migraine. Um, and the migraine itself ended up lasting six and a half days in total. And That's a long time. Wow. Yeah, it is. And like uh, for the first time, my meds didn't work, which is why I ended up at the uh, emergency room so that I could get their sort of cocktail IV. Uh, but I really hate hospitals. So it was a, overall just not a great experience and and my husband couldn't come with me because of the COVID protocols so um it was just a lot and everything was just a lot so you know I'm really proud of everything I've done I'm it's really hard to not do things because I feel like I think of a lot of things and I want to always share that but uh protect our province BC is now going and holding their sort of um information sessions and we have you know school trackers still going yeah so the info is there and we're going to keep doing this podcast and more regularly now that I've kind of cut down on other things um because we do have to give where we can but we also have to survive it's been a really long time right it's been long and it's heavy it's heavy it's heavy on your soul it's heavy on you psychologically right is it's just so much because this is a war of attrition right they want burnout to occur they want people to tune out they want people to just pretend this is over and get pandemic fatigue so you know they don't have to do anything extra it's yeah i i honestly mel i don't know what their plan is anymore i don't think they have one I think it's sort of the Trumpian, you know, style oh, of it's it's really about power, right? So once they have the power, it's it wasn't really about what they were going to do with the power. It was just about the power in itself. So these people aren't people that have thought of great ways to save humanity or even care about it. They they want their paychecks and do whatever. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's sad. It's not a it's not a a moral uh, necessity for them in the way it is for many of us that you know hurts our soul whatever that is you know that we lean into this pain and continue to do it because the world needs it these people don't have that right that's been a hard lesson for me this pandemic is realizing that people aren't all good and and not in the in the really like well, maybe it is a really depressing way, but in a, most people don't have integrity. Isn't that something? Most people don't really even understand their own values enough to have integrity is what I've learned. Uh, and that really sucks because it means the world's going to be a really rough place to be for quite some time to be. Until people learn to develop 
some integrity or it gets so bad that it affects them. And then they're like, oh, hold on. And they get their aha moment. So let's talk right. about what, let's talk about what does integrity look like? Let's, mm-hmm. If they had integrity, what does that look like? Well, that's an interesting point because I think it's important to acknowledge that it, the whole idea of integrity is that you're living in line with your own values, that what you see as your priorities in life are what you do in everyday life, right? Or what you do and act and and say, you know, I say this online, offline in my therapy room, outside my therapy room, that my core values are honesty, empathy, and action. Those are, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to. Um, and I am someone who lives in integrity, right? And I, I don't say that in a in a boastful way at all or like trying to make myself seem like a good person. It's just the way I choose to live my life is that I have to. It's, it's what feels the best to me. Um, and it's actually what feels the best to most humans. But the point there is, n- is that those values I said aren't necessarily the values that people have. Yes. So... What I see is that we have almost a cultural sickness that has inbred these individualistic notions as values, right? That um, achievement is values, that, um, you know, item accumulation is values, that that that's what shows that you have that worth. Mm -hmm. Um, We've broken that sense of internal value of where that comes from and, um, well, I mean, we're seeing a cultural uprise because of it. I don't know any other way to say that, but the the sort of selfishness that has been pervasive of across our culture during this pandemic is sort of what I see as an outcome of that um, sort of pendulum swing toward, towards individualism that we've seen in this last, you know, five years-ish. And that's what's really getting amplified and it's causing all the stochastic rhetoric, right? It's people asserting their freedoms. And I, I posted a really interesting visual representation of a broken social contract and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Right? And it was an image of an evenly sliced pie, but some jerk went and takes a triangle right in the middle of the pie and ignores all the other people that may want to have some of that pie, right? Mm-hmm. And it's their individual action and their choice to exercise their freedoms, but how it negatively affects others. And when that happens, that's your individualism that's negating justice. Well, and you can choose to do that. Let's be clear. You can choose to enact your individualism, but if everyone chooses to not like you after you ruin the pie for everybody and don't invite you anymore and you're not allowed to come to their birthday parties and then you're all mad about it, like... freedom isn't freedom without consequence that's right there's logical consequences right like if you you don't yes you have the freedom to do these things but if it makes me think that you're a dick and i don't want to be around you anymore i also have the freedom to tell you that you're a dick and i don't want to be around you anymore that's right it's the debate of of being intolerant to intolerance right there's there's a level of like, we only have to tolerate you so much when you begin to be inconsiderate and your actions are harmful and intentionally harmful to the rest of society. And that's the thing is that I may 
disagree with things and have viewpoints about anything. But on my side of this equation, I always respect the basic human dignity of every person. That's right. Whatever, whatever area they're coming from. You know, I work with, you know, criminals. That's what I do. I work with people who've committed very hard crimes. I interview them. I, you know, treat them at times. I assess them. I'm involved in these systems. Um, and I, doing that, you have to see the human dignity in all people. Yes. That just because they have committed these acts or they've done these things that it's not my right to then punish them past the systems of punishment. Right. It's not, that's not my job to do. And these individuals that want freedom, they want the freedom to harm others. That's yeah. not the freedom that we're talking about. No. And we're not talking about a full on authoritarian lockdown on people like, like Austria, Austria tonight is now going to impose a lockdown on the unvaccinated, which is like a complete extreme response that is now throwing their entire country into right but mel we're we're going to be at the place for extreme responses because by doing the half-ass responses we've seen particularly in bc we've allowed the breeding like we said so now we see that excuse me there's this variant of interest that's in you know ontario and saskatchewan and bc you know, well, I mean, it's probably actually from BC friends there. You know, yeah. they have they've been refusing to break down the variant reports for the Delta variant. So, like, we know that we've had this great growth in this one sub lineage of Delta within BC, but they haven't like labeled it for us. But I highly suspect this may be related to the uh, the wave of this. But we Mel, I mean, I'm going to say this. And again, I couch this in. Usually our listeners have listened to me long enough to know I don't say these because I want to. And I really don't say them because I want them to be true. It's just where my mind is sort of percolating at at this moment is. And some of the articles I've seen recently in the last couple of days. We're going to need a new vaccine. Yes. I agree. By next year. Yes. Right. Probably it's by the end of next year we'll need a new vaccine. Because what did we do? We let all the community transmission happen. Yeah, we let it see it. our genetic code. We let it learn what it was good at and what it wasn't good at. And now it's it's making Maybe. variants and soon yeah. our our vaccine won't be good. And this is going to make the vaccine arguments, the vaccine black and whiteness we've seen, it's going to make it 100 times worse because yeah. now people are going to come with the argument, what's the point of getting vaccinated if it only lasts for so long? Well, I want to be clear. Getting vaccinated is always the best choice because it lowers the severity level. Yes, of your right? reaction, your personal reaction on to a, the virus. On a, on a global likely level, you're less likely to have severe disease and death if you get vaccinated. Full stop. With each vaccination, you're going to improve that, right? Um, but to have the population buy into that now that we've had all of this uprising and all of this personal rights and, and people like Dr. Henry allowed people to put personal freedom over community well-being. Mm -hmm. we're, we're stuck with this for some time, right? Yeah. 
at least five years now as a projection. Because you can't put it back in the box after you've half-assed it. And then you have to go to those extreme swings because everybody isn't going to listen to you now. And we need to talk about these extreme swings. And it's not necessarily because, oh, the government's full of authoritarians. And no, there's something called Foucault. He differentiates between two different balances of power when weighing policy when he talks about government. Mm. A, sovereign judicial powers that determine whether to take life or to let live. And these are the people who are in power that have to make a decision when weighing policy, whether or not their rules are responding appropriately to what's happening, right? So, and then the B side, which is biopowers that either foster life or neglect life, that disallow life to the point of death. So Foucault speaks about weighing policy in like a, like a scale almost, where, you know, are we going to let stuff happen where people are just going to die or do we react as a government and negate those types of misbehavior you want to say misbehavior or non-social contract behavior Mm -hmm. right that is that is causing harm actual harm and that's exactly what's happening right now right we have people who are refusing to follow the social contract and they're taking big pieces of the pie out of everywhere which is affecting everyone and we see this with well, and if people think it's not gonna become more violent or get violent it's you're just not paying attention to history to be honest that's right it's it's going to get worse especially when the kids vaccines come right like i'm percolating on this every day right now wondering how bad this argument's gonna get once we start vaccinating kids because i already have people like yelling on my posts if I comment on some sort of vaccine article, like I'm poisoning my child and like all, and I haven't even vaccinated my child yet. I'm just commenting on an article about it. And all those extremes that we saw with vaccination. I mean, think about the moral obligation we feel towards children. Think about why people get so angry about um, abuse towards children and those sorts of issues is that we have this, um, evolutionary drive to protect children and when yeah. this comes out again I just don't think it's going to be that pretty no their parents are already uh, protesting I've seen protests of parents leaving shoes in front of an elementary school saying all these kids won't be in school if you impose a mandatory vaccine mandate I'm sorry but to me when I saw that it reminded me of 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 the kids' shoes at the art gallery and the residential schools. And there's this huge movement right now to conflate vaccination mm. with, with residential schools residential yeah. school or eugenics or being... I've pers- seen that too. I've seen like, it too. I'm, I'm sorry. In World War II, if you didn't have your papers, okay... You would be rounded up, your family would be rounded up, and you'd be put on a cattle car, and you'd be sent to, you know, Birkenwald or Auschwitz. You'd be sent to a worker death camp. But these people who are saying that vaccine passports makes them makes them feel like being persecuted, like in World War II, is just such a conflation. So I fought, I recently fought, fought with some people on my mother's Facebook because that's what I do in my spare time because they, 
my mom my mom shared a, a post which was about really about caring about the people around you not even about vaccine mandates and vaccines were literally not even mentioned and mm-hmm. then some of these people were going off about how vaccine mandates are bullying and blah 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 and one lady said it was like nazi germany and i'm like you know i agree with you this thing is very much like nazi germany and we're going to discuss that in a future episode because not from the perspective they're seeing it but actually mm-hmm. from the perspective that this idea of being able to call the le- the vulnerable people in the population or the ones that don't meet cer- certain characteristics, yeah. uh, that is sort of, eugenics was the basis of the National Socialist Party, right? It was the basis of what Hitler's plans were for, was on eugenics. And <laughs> I mean, I don't say this lightly, no. um, but the application of the policies we see right now could be seen as a cousin of those same policies right of that agenda that essentially we've said in bc that the needs and wants of the people that can afford and want to go to full capacity connects games are more important than those that are dying in the long-term care in the hospitals or getting sick in other places that we won't mitigate that because the needs and the wants of those others are more important Yes. Um, and that means death in this case, that we will see great death in long-term care, that we've seen tens of thousands of children infected. Um, the idea that if it's the weak people dying, and they've said this over and over and over again, the comorbidities, comorbidities, it's people with comorbidities, it's people with vulnerabilities, that's eugenics at play. Yes, they're, they're literally stating it's okay that this chunk of people died, even though they wouldn't have died if we were doing other things, because they had existing conditions. That's eugenics. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. That is eugenics. People say that's extreme, but I'm like, no, no, that that's like literally just definitional at this point. Like, when people get up there and say, you know, we've had this many child deaths, but it's only this many healthy children. Um, Yeah, that's, you're saying it's okay if the not healthy children die. That's eugenics. The the Nazi party also said it was okay for, you know, people to learn out of various ways to get all upset, but... You know, the far right and the the anti-vax agendas are very clearly crossed in their shenanigans. Um, Are there other pockets of people who have reasons for vaccine hesitancy? Absolutely. And there's many extensive ethical reasons for many of those groups having those hesitancies. Um, But this is not the groups we're talking about. This is the motherfucking measles population people that have been not getting vaccinated for the last 20 years and, and, you know, think that... I don't know what they think. I, this is the hard part is like, I don't know what they think. They carry cell phones. So I'm not quite sure what they think they're not getting if they're getting a cell phone every day. They're exposing themselves through the vaccination to something like community health. I don't know. <laughs> but there, you're right. There is a correlation between, you know, the far right movement that's happening globally, but is threatening to destabilize our democracies. And plunging us all into authoritarianism oh, and, oh, and oh. anti-vax stuff. There's there's a correlation. Let me talk some shit while I'm here, actually. <laughs> Just <laughs> remind me of something tonight. Uh, 
speaking of shitholes doing shitty things, UBC, I just saw a release that they had to uh, not let one of the speakers come to their their campus that was supposed to be speaking there. This was the same person that said residential schools were a hoax. Oh my god. I'm embarrassed for Canadians like that we actually have UBC. Yeah, I'm embarrassed for UBC. And you know what? I'm so proud of being from SFU because I'm so glad my alumni is not doing that. Wow. You didn't Google him first? What? I don't... What was he going to come? And now there's this big uproar about it getting cancelled by those people like blah 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 like you have to let me come there and talk about COVID being a hoax otherwise you're mean. I don't know. But the spread of disinformation like UBC do better. Holy moly. Do better. They gave DBH an honorary degree. It kind of makes sense now eh? Yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? Like, hmm, wow, they're letting it, they're letting someone speak. I don't think they check the background heavily of the people they award. What if they did? And this is just their school. That's just their policy. Seriously, there's no reason, right? Like, and that's really frustrating. And they need to make really clear statements about those things and take really clear stands. But unfortunately, we've seen UBC not do that during the pandemic. And that's been one of the most disappointing things for me is they've made choices that have put their faculty, students and staff at risk. And it's really disappointing because I guarantee the upper levels, including uh, Santa Ono, are in well-spaced meetings with probably well-provided masks and got their vaccines as soon as they could, right? Like, this what's good for the goose but not good for the what what is that stupid saying oh god gander is yeah, it goose in a gander for the gander oh my gosh this is the joy of living with my mom i have all these old sayings that she says all the time well that goose gander one that thing they're uh they don't like to follow the same protocols right like i i don't suspect that those that are making the rules for us that are causing such strife and refusing to address it would subject themselves to the same situations that our healthcare staff, teachers, and other essential workers are in. No, they they believe in a two-tiered system where right. the rest of us are plebs and, and they're the, uh, you know... Where they get to still stay and work from home if they're government employees, but those, the rest of us that, you know, have to work... They don't make a fight to make sure that we have the best masks and the best ventilation, the best ventilation. And for me, I always, there's nothing more I hate than a person in power that uh, pulls the ladder up behind them. Yeah, because your responsibility is to hold the door open. That's what you're supposed to do when you're a leader. You hold the door open for others to come with you. Right, because... It's not about me. It's about the betterment of society to me. It's about the betterment of the job I'm at. It's about the betterment of the clients I have. And if there's good, smart people around me that are going to do that, I'm going to welcome them in. I'm not going to, you know, shoo them away. And that's not the focus that our politics has right now. No. And it's unfortunate. And we're seeing the consequences of it, really. And Canadians are paying that consequence with their lives. I mean, oh, and they continue to. December's not going to be better, right? Like the number of deaths in BC continues to pick up. It's they removed the mask mandate on Halloween, right? As the kids are going to school now, 
in an, with an airborne virus that's been confirmed by Health Canada, but kids are going to school without masks. Teachers are in classrooms with maybe they'll get some. And while in Health Canada still hasn't approved the vaccine for kids. Yeah, and and it doesn't look like it's going to happen until next year. Australia. No, they keep they keep saying weeks, and then it keeps getting pushed. Yeah, I really hope that we get it by December first, but I I'm I'm neutral. I don't I don't have a trusting bone in my body that they have any plan. And you know, I've heard rumors that that's based on procurement issues that they don't have the supply to actually vaccinate right now, so they don't want to approve. Um, and so until we get the supply, they don't want to approve, essentially, which I guess makes sense because otherwise they're just going to start stratifying again. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> just just be honest. Holy moly. <laughs> if the government would just tell us what is going on and let us get accustomed to it and figure out what's going to happen over this next year, it would be so helpful. But instead, they're just going to deny, deny, deny as they keep doing. Yeah, and honestly... If there was ethical leadership, they would actually pull together and come up with a cogent plan mm -hmm. with a spoken sequence for the next six months on how they're going to frame this for the citizens. Because people need to know what's going on. They've lived in so much uncertainty for the last you know, year and a half that, yeah, it's psychologically stressful, right? People don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to get their boosters in BC. They don't well, that's let alone if you, you've contracted COVID and you've got long COVID or you're struggling oh, yeah. with that <laughs> stuff. Like, there's just so much happening. Like, people don't even know if they have COVID because, one, they can't get access to tests in BC. Like, no one can get access Which, to Which, of course, tests. is then going to restrict their ability to get access to the long COVID help because most of the clinics in BC thus far have required... Um, uh, confirmation of a positive test, which, as we know in BC, many people didn't access and or were just told to stay in isolation and those sorts of things. Yeah, so if there's no evidence, there's no medical evidence, then there's no data. There's no reason for them to support you. Like, I mean, it's so obvious what's happening. What's happening is the bottom line. We've talked about this. Like, right. Oh, I well, I mean, imagine if we've permanently disabled like one percent of people, even mm -hmm. the amount of uh, strain that that would put on the disability system that's already strained. They cut disability even more for people during the pandemic. They took away the bonus and they, and they did it in such a way and timed it just as like Sir Brown out as CRB's clawed back like you should see disability twitter going right now people are having amazon wish lists or well and the cuts to the autism funding that they've done now to you know yeah. again this actually comes back to what we said before instead of taking away the services that were so needed and so hard to get um instead of taking it away from those with diagnoses and opening it up to also people without diagnoses you just took away those services and now have this weird, like, ambiguous blob, which is probably going to make it harder for all those other people to continue with services because they've spent years building those relationships and finding what was needed and all that stuff. Um, so will those without diagnoses get services now more? Yeah, but it's going to be a big mess. And you could have instead just offered everybody the good service system. Yeah. Right? You just wanted, they just 
it's not always better to just throw everybody in the same pool, right? Why not just make things better for everybody instead of throwing that in? Because they could have had a stream for just non-diagnosed kids that got those sort of services now and just ended up being more inclusive with the services. But instead, they've changed the system and that will naturally break all these systems that these families that are most at risk have had in play. So in order to scoop some up, they've essentially batted others down when they could have just scooped the others up. Right? Yes. And I don't know if our listeners, like if you don't have a relationship with a family with special needs kids or kids who require autism support, it is so hard to one, find a therapist to get funding is so expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. And and my goodness, the the hardships that this policy is going to impose on families, kids, special needs, is going to be incalculable. And they did this in the Ford government. Do you mm-hmm. remember them doing this in the Ford government? And no, I don't. Yeah, they cut the autism funding in the Ford government too, in the, the first the first year. And there were parents that were protesting and these things are following the footsteps right now. They're doing everything like that Alberta didn't do, that the Ford government did. Like they're doing it all. Oh, I agree. They're again, despite the uh, NDP label of the Horgan government, it's clearly a libertarian for all, right? It's big business. It's pairing with gas and oil. It's freaking, mm. you know, chopping down our trees and arresting our indigenous peoples it's just it's yeah it just water it just keeps going keeps giving so um i'm not sure what our schedule will be yet it might be every week it might be every other week i just have to see how i'm doing at work um again i work with some pretty uh severe things right now so i need more brain time than I've needed in the past just to percolate and think about those things and then wind down from those things and all sorts of stuff like that. So um, we will keep informing you as much as we can to what is doable for us too. Any last thoughts before we sign off for the night? No, I will just be continuing to keep an eye on those BC deaths and I uh, uh, will keep an eye too. I would keep an eye out on that variant and whether they start to drop what that variant is in BC and we figure out it's that same one. I suspect that might come in the next little bit, but maybe not. Maybe it's just a random other one we have. They discovered three other new variants in Idaho. Yeah, I I mean, North America is going to be a shit show for real, but just because we've the community transmission is going to be so skyrocketed due to our lack of mask mandates and stuff like that, too, that Uh, yeah we're gonna be having a reckoning with this poor policy and culture we've had for the last year um unfortunately i think that oh i don't want to say this but we ain't seen nothing yet no it's gonna be and it's not because that it's gonna be the most horrific days or the biggest death tolls it's because this is not gonna stop Mm -mm. this like this wave of of highness that we're on like we're just going to keep seeing cases we're going to keep seeing deaths you know and that's just hard and that's with the recognition you know and and i don't say this to impact anybody's choice to get vaccinated again i say that vaccination is the best choice almost always i would think Um, but we're gonna have a real problem with vaccines and we invited it 
we did. We invited these issues and, and we did. They were warned. Yeah. But here we are, right? We're going to. We're going to deal with the outcomes of our policies for the next uh, longer than we wanted to. Mm -hmm. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. And we'll say goodnight to Project Canary. Ta-da.